0: Hey folks, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and this week my guest is Ryan Howard, aka R-Dog, who not only is one of the smoothest and most stylish mountain bikers out there, is, as it turns out, also a really good storyteller. And I sat down with Ryan to just chat about his career and the rather legendary aptos california dirt jump and general mountain biking scene that he came out of and a whole lot more including some fun stories about the various custom painted bikes that he's envisioned and had made over the years and his path through the bike world and some stories from rampage and a whole lot more you'll just have to keep listening for all of it. It's a good one. Ryan's a lot of fun. And before we get into it, though, as we touch on in the episode, Ryan is unfortunately coming back from a broken leg at the moment. And it's a good reminder that accidents happen when we're mountain biking or skiing or doing any of the various things that we all do out in the woods. And our blister plus coverage which gives you all of the normal benefits of a blister membership including being able to email us to get a recommendation on your next bike or ski purchase or setting up the suspension on your bike or whatever else it might be that you need help with also gets you zero deductible injury insurance if you do get hurt so Not only will a major injury like the one that Ryan is coming back from be covered, but it also means that you don't have to worry about whether it's worth paying your deductible or out of pocket cost to go get something minor looked at, even if you do have regular health insurance. So it's a program that we're very proud of and think is really going to be immensely valuable to just about everyone listening to this. So Check that out at the link in the show notes. Get yourself covered. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Ryan, our dog Howard. Well, Ryan, great to sit down and chat and thanks for coming on. How are you doing today and where are you this morning?
1: I'm doing great. Just uh, nursing a broken leg, actually. I'm actually in Southern California, um, like little ways from home, just trying to do some rehab on my leg, um, doing the stationary bike and using the pool at my fiance's parents' house. Um, Yeah, been laying low for the last seven weeks and I got another week until I can walk. So pretty excited about that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you're getting there. And uh, we we were chatting about this off air before we fired it up, but uh, I hadn't actually seen any news about you. Getting hurt, but then up at Crankworks a couple of weeks ago, I sort of thought I saw you zipping across a parking lot on a new scooter, and out of the corner of my eye went, "Wait, was that Ryan?" Not sure, didn't quite see. And like, turns out, yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I kept it quiet. Um, I mean, Crankworks is like four or five weeks after the incident, mm-hmm. so I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't need to tell the world. Like everyone that needs to know will know at Crankworks. Sure,
0: so, no, fair um, enough. I mean. Uh, it was just funny to be like, wait, that dude's hurt. But wait, is that him? And lo and behold,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know. It's uh honestly, it's my first big injury, so it's been a pretty big learning curve for me. Um, just been throwing everything I can at it, and yeah, it's uh, it's going really well. So I'll I'll be on the bike before we know it.
0: Yeah, well, glad to hear you're kind of getting back on track there, and um getting close to being able to walk again is an exciting one. I've done a major tib-fib that had me off weight bearing for a long time too. Um, so been there, it's a tough one, but, uh, yeah, glad to hear things are going well and you're getting closer to being back at it. Um, yeah, thank you. It's,
1: uh, just slow steps, you know, stationary bike and swimming and walking in the pool and trying to eat healthy it's it's all part of the game you know
0: yep no it sounds like you got the right stuff going there at least and uh just hope things continue going smoothly with that or as smoothly as you can thank you but really kind of just wanted to have you on and chat a bit about kind of what you've been up to in general and maybe tell some stories from coming up and see where things take us but uh It's kind of a good time, too. You've got a new movie out just as of, was it, last week. So, But before we get into some of that stuff, we'd love to hear a bit about kind of your time coming up through the Aptos scene and what mountain biking looked like for you in the early days when you were getting going with it. I mean, very lucky to grow up in that little town,
1: especially with uh, all the other athletes that came out of Aptos, you know, like the McCall brothers and Greg Watts, Jamie Goldman, Alex Ravelis, And I mean, that, that's just the people that are from there, you know, um, that's not even the people that moved to town once it was once like post office is thriving and all that. Um, yeah, it, it was an exciting time for sure. And we had it better than we do because, uh, once it was gone, we're like, whoa, like that had a huge impact on not only the, the Aptos scene, but the mountain bike world in general. Um, But yeah, I I had a lot of good uh, um, people to look up to, you know, the like Cam and Cam and Jamie and Greg, like they were traveling and riding and filming and doing contests and um, Tyler McCall and myself and Alex Rovellas, we were kind of just like the generation below them. So we're like, well, that's, that's sick. Like you can make a career out of this. Um, so we kind of just followed their footsteps and yeah, they, they taught us the way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you kind of hit what I wanted to get into here is just sort of the incredible number of really big names that have come out of a Pretty small town, really. And is it really just as simple as there was a really thriving scene with the post office jumps? And that was just what everyone in town did. And it, because you had such a good spot to ride and have a big, thriving community around it, that just developed a whole bunch of really good riders. Or was there more going on than that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, surround yourself with the right people. We have a good riding spot and yeah, I mean, we weren't only dirt jump kids, you know, I mean, mainly we were, but you know, we were stoked on riding trail and building trail and going to the Norba races stuff and stuff like that. Like our parents, majority of our parents were pretty supportive of the whole scene. So like, yeah, I'd hop in with another family. We'd go to this race. Buddies would hop in with me. We'd go to that race. Like, um, you know, that's, there weren't dirt really in that day unless you were you know traveling pretty heavily but so that was us that was we would go to the races and then we'd go home and dirt jump it was kind of this weird um time where we didn't have dirt jump contests, so yeah. uh it, it kind of made us all like pretty well rounded riders you know um we could rip trail we could dirt jump and we could dig. It it was like the perfect recipe for, you know, becoming a mountain bike athlete. Um, and not any of us really thrived in racing. Like Tyler McCall did pretty good in racing in his time. Um, but yeah, we kind of all just like did that for fun and we were more serious about the dirt, dirt jump thing, kind of turned into some slope style stuff. And I mean, I was never a huge slope style guy, but, um, I could ride it. I never did good, but (laughs) um, yeah, special place for sure.
0: Right. And you've talked before about not really generally being an especially competitive person, just kind of not what fires you up, I guess. Fair to say, or correct me if I'm wrong, but that's sort of the read I've gotten on it. Yeah, I'd rather hike times and get the one shot I'm looking for for a
1: Hard or whatever then have one shot at a top to bottom run and probably miss a couple bar spins or something not get a very good score it's just i don't know it's just not for me um i respect it it's it's a savage savage thing especially nowadays the slope style seems out of control um but yeah just i don't know i i out there doing it for Myself and just trying to get a good video, produce a good video, and just show my style of writing is yeah. I don't need to
0: no, and you know, super reasonable and like kind of good on you for just identifying that and not forcing anything that doesn't really feel natural, like what you want to be doing. Um, all for that, but the thing I'm sort of curious about is just like you said, you kind of came up. In an era when there weren't really dirt jumper slope style competitions yet, then Rampage became a, and still is a big thing. You've been there a number of times. What was it like kind of navigating, trying to make a career as a pro when competitions weren't so much your thing, but you were still doing some to sort of make it all fit together and try to figure out how to, I don't know, maybe make doing what you really want to be doing like you said video parts and that kind of stuff come together and formulate a career out of it how did that all pan out and come together
1: mountain biking obviously has a very high level of uh, media like all the web edits are you could pay for those you know like there's a lot of time and money that goes into that kind of stuff but that's more recent right um the the contest thing that's how you're getting sponsors you know you're standing on podiums and that's what people that's how you got noticed right um, but as time went on um, the whole social media thing and um, you know pink bike or the internet was just kind of thriving you know and you you could make these videos and you can get a hundred thousand views in like two days. Um, It was a pretty exciting time for mountain biking, really. Um, Yeah, and, you know, I just had people that supported it. Like, all my sponsors have been super supportive of me not doing the whole contest thing. Um, You know, Trek, SRAM, Bell, they they just know I'm not a a contest rider. Um, So, yeah, I've been lucky and they let me kind of do my thing and just kind of reach the... You know, the everyday mountain biker. That That's the person that I'm trying to inspire. You know, just get out, ride your bike. I'm not doing the craziest tricks. I'm not going the fastest. I just want to make mountain biking look fun and flowy and enjoyable. And the lifestyle of mountain biking is something that everyone can relate to really is, you know, traveling around with your friends or going to your next favorite spot to ride. It's, yeah. So I've been lucky that they've supported that and kind of... I don't really know how I navigated my way through there, but uh, I,
0: <laughs> I mean, does it feel like the type of path that you've wound up on has become a sort of more clearly established one and one that is easier to navigate these days? Like you said, with sort of just the changes in the media landscape and the fact that sort of just. Tons of video edits have become a commonplace thing for folks to do. Yeah, totally. Um,
1: You know, I I have a lot of inspiration from other sports, such such as like surfing and snowboarding and skateboarding, like and and moto even. Like a lot of these guys never do contests. They're just free surfers and they film video parts. They go all these crazy spots and get clips. And, you know, it's, it's a common thing, but... In mountain biking, it wasn't really yet not saying I pioneered the way, but like there it wasn't a thing. Um, you know, you you would have to do the contest and then you would film your disorder part throughout the year at these contests. You know, it's that's like what the McCalls were doing and Andreu, and Claw, and they all were travel around doing the contest and filming at the same time, but yeah, no one was, like, really 100% into the filming thing. Um, but, yeah, it's it's way more common now. Like, look at Brandon Semina. he's He only films videos. Um, so, it's – yeah, there, there's a lot of people that do it. You know, contests aren't for everyone. So, just kind of got to
0: make make your way around the sport you love. That all makes very good sense. I'm curious to hear, though, about, you know, you have, for example – been at Rampage a few times and what was it like for you kind of trying to motivate yourself to go do especially a competition that's that burly and that consequential and that just you know everything that Rampage is when competing generally speaking is not really just the thing that's kind of getting you fired up broadly speaking
1: yeah totally um I actually dug brandon for two years before i even really even rode in utah um so i really got a lay for the land and kind of how it all works and um i was honestly honestly a bit surprised when i got the rampage invite the first year um but my mindset was just go there and just get one under your belt do it for yourself i don't care how i do you know like it, it's a part of the experience it's a legendary thing to do for the sport, you know, just to be a part of it. Even if I did get last place, whatever. Um, That that was kind of my take on it. I did it four years. Um, I qualified when they had qualifying. I qualified once. And then the last year it was just straight to final. So you didn't have to qualify. Um, But yeah, like I said, I wasn't there to win there's dudes out there that are like legit risking their life for that to stand on that podium. And, you know, if I can go build a line that's fun to ride and I can make it look good and, you know, do my one trick, a 360 and a a few whips, uh, that's a win in my book. I mean, those dudes are so gnarly and on such another level that, uh, yeah, there's no way I can compete, but just to be a part of it, I'm like so hyped. And just to add that to my resume is, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. So I'll take it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, when you got that first invite, was there a part of you that's like, man, that's not for me, I'm not really a comp writer. It's not, or were you pretty like, well, if this door's open, I better walk through it.
1: Exactly. You know, and it's like I said, it's a legendary thing of the sport. You know, if people ask like, oh, you're a mountain biker, have you been to like that Red Cliff place? And you can be like, yeah, I actually have. Like, um, And, and that first year, it was more of an invite thing where, you know, a lot of my buddies were doing it too. So we like tag teamed a line, like built a line together. And, you know, it wasn't a crazy stressful environment for me really. So, um, yeah, it was something I had to do. And then, yeah, I just, I did it three more times
0: <laughs> to kind of bring it back around to Aptos and the post office jumps. I mean, a lot of people know the, the post office jump story pretty well, but to at least tell some of the kind of higher points of it, like I am just curious to hear what the, scene around it was like when you were coming up and, you know, for folks who aren't familiar, it was this really legendary set of dirt jumps in in town. And, um, I think one of the things that I find most interesting about it is just the fact that the way that the, was it County land that kind of basically just after seeing this thing get built and seeing it thrive was actually pretty happy to make it legit for a while. And I don't know. I mean, Tell us like what that was all like, and you know were you guys ever approaching them trying to get it legitimized, or was it really their initiative to make that happen, and how did all that come together?
1: First time I went to post office, I couldn't even dirt jump. I was like some cross country dork, you know um, and I rolled up this was probably in two thousand one ish, and I rolled up with a buddy and he'd been there before and the first thing i see is cam mccall and tyler mccall doing a train on what we called the double and it was like the far left side of the park biggest jump they had now I, I they did a train i was like oh wow like i need to do that like i want to be a part of this you know um yeah and i would just go when no one was there and try and figure it out a little bit on my own so i wouldn't get made fun of and um, yeah, there was a lot of locals, a lot of locals, like just riding, you know, they weren't big names. None of none of them were big names at the time. You know, mountain biking was so new and, um, we were all on downhill bikes, which is funny. Um, yeah, so time went on and, you know, the crew just got bigger and I kind of made my friends in the, in the scene there and, Dude, we wouldn't even have to call anyone. You know, you would just show up after school and there'd be a huge session going on, 10, 15 of us. And we'd ride till dark and we'd all pedal home because none of us had a driver's license. You know, we were all so young and yeah. And, you know, the the time went on. Jumps got bigger, bikes got better. You know, more people started coming in and um, some of them, you know, started getting sponsors and it was it was, we were creating the scene. We didn't even know what we were doing. You know, we were just a bunch of dirtbag kids just hanging out in a parking lot. And, um, so yeah. And then, you know, the, the County came in and they were like, Hey, we can't really let you pedal down the street anymore. Cause it was like a main two way street into a neighborhood on a downhill. And that was how we got into the jumps And so they blocked it off and built us a huge roll-in. And we kind of had to start over building the jumps because everything, all the speed came from the road. And so they built us like this kind of jank roll-in thing. Um, But we made it work and we got some excavators and started building because before it was like dirt jumps. And then it kind of turned into like trails, like dirt jump trails, whether it was hips and, you know, proper lines instead of just like straight shot into one or three jumps, whatever. Um, We kind of started to figure out the flow of the park and what works and what doesn't work. And yeah, just the progression of not only riding, but, you know, building. Um, So yeah, that's when the county came in and they're like, Hey, we will let you guys do this um, for a dollar a year. We're going to lease it out to the county and until this place gets developed. And we got a bonus eight years out of that little lot. Um, and, you know, people are telling us, oh, it's going to get torn down in a year. It's going to get torn down in three years. But um, didn't keep us from, you know, we we dug until the last day. just. Cause we were all so passionate about it and that was our spot. And that was, yeah, we would literally go every day in the evening. Like the evening sessions at post office were, were legendary. Um, Yeah. All the way until the last day we were, we were there.
0: I don't know. I, there's still just a part of me that really likes the bit that the County was so willing to work with you guys and legitimize it rather than just, you know, it, it would have been so easy for them to be like, there's this problem with these guys using the street as the run in. We got to shut the whole thing down. And okay, we got really lucky actually. This is what I was going to ask.
1: Like, how did this come about? These two brothers that rode, their dad was like pretty high up at this um, company called Barry Swenson. And they were the ones that were going to uh, develop the land. So they owned the land and eventually they were going to develop it, but their kids rode. And so this dude was just like, "No, nah, no. Nah, you guys just stay here, do your thing until um it's developed." And yeah, the the kids, the the two brothers actually were they were great riders, you know. They they were right in the scene. They were, you know, progressing with all of us and yeah, so his dad, their dad kind of made it happen for us, which was Unbelievable, really. You don't really hear those kinds of stories, especially with, you know, the county and lots of money and, like, land that's pretty desirable. Um, Yeah, we were so lucky. We didn't even know it, really, at the time. But um, you look back now, you're like, how did we just have dirt jumps with an ocean view in the middle of town? Like, that's insane.
0: That's what I mean. That's, yeah, incredibly serendipitous. And, well, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) look what we got out of it. Yeah, totally. So, I mean,
1: those are all my friends for life. You know, that's, those are stories for life that that location just had so much history and just to the sport, not only the town, but the sport as well. Cause like, man, people would come from Norway and Spain and like all over Europe just to to hang out with us in the winter. And they'd stay at the, the hotel down the street and for months on end. And we would just ride every day, you know, it's, it was the winter spot for a long time. Uh, so met, met a lot of really cool people that way as well.
0: Yeah. And where along this timeline, did it start dawning on you guys that this was something that you could actually make a career out of rather than it just being the thing that you were doing? Cause it was what you love doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember the day I, my mom came and picked me up from the jumps or she tried to. And I was like, I don't want to go to hockey practice today. Like that sounds lame. Like I'm over it. I just want to stay here and ride. And she's like, well, call your dad. I was like 14, maybe 15. And yeah, I, I called my dad. I'm like, dad, I quit playing hockey. I'm going to ride bikes from now on. And he didn't take it too well, but you know, it all worked out in the end. Um, (laughs) But yeah, just just seeing like Greg and Cameron and Jamie, you know, like get support, and they were traveling around, you know, going to Europe for contests, and yeah, just um, that's how I got introduced to track was through Cam and or Cam and uh, Brandon. Um, you know, they they introduced me to Shandro, and I don't know why he saw potential in me because I was just some, you know. Small town kid riding for fun, but um, yeah, he he gave me a chance and yeah, then SRAM came and Bell came and yeah, and I've been with all those people for, you know, the last 10 plus years, which is pretty crazy to think about, honestly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And just sort of all kind of built from there. I guess while we're on the subject of Trek, you've had a very cool series of custom painted bikes with just a whole range of different themes from them over the years and somewhat famously have just hung on to all of them kind of keeping them around and what's your process like for coming up with a design for one of those or a concept that you're kicking to someone else to make a design and do you have any particular favorites that really stand out from that whole series because there have certainly been Quite a few to choose from.
1: It's so hard. It, it's such a fun thing for me to to do every year. You know, we get an X amount of bikes that, you know, whatever lineup I want to choose and you can kind of just go wild with it, really. Um, you just come up with an idea. You send it to like the, one of the designers at Trek and he'll send back like a handful of mock-ups like computer design mock-ups and with different logos or colors or like where your name could be he gives you a bunch of options and we kind of just go back and forth like hey you know I want to replicate this car or this hockey team whatever it is Um, and yeah we kind of just work together on it and yeah, it, it's pretty crazy to think how many times I've gotten a bike. I'm like, this is the coolest one I've ever had, you know? And then next year comes around, you're like, nope, this is the coolest one I've ever had. Um, they they spoil us like crazy. And it it's not just me, you know, it's the team, like the whole C3 project. And now, like Trek Factory Racing, they're getting insanely dope custom painted bikes as well. Um but yeah, I've never sold one single custom painted bike because I'm gonna want all those when I'm old, you know. Um, but I do let my friends ride them, you know, like a buddy's down a bike or he doesn't have a trail bike, whatever. I'll just let them take it. But the rule is like you can't get it stolen. Don't if if you break it, give it back and don't sell it, you know? It's um yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. And I did, I can't even pinpoint one that I'm that hyped on, like overly hyped on because they're all so insane. Um, the one that probably got the most traction, uh, well, the two that got the most traction on the internet was, um, the one that was painted like my 1987 Toyota pickup, which was the remedy. Um, and I drove it to a, a Toyota dealership and, put the bike in the back and uh, yeah, I took some photos there. That one got a lot of traction and then the back to the future slash that I did last year um, or maybe that was two years ago now, but um, yeah, that one went crazy. And I, I had this idea of to, to do like, uh like replicate the box of the movie. So I dressed up as Doc and had like some crazy remote thing in my hand and try and do like just totally replicate it. Um, and so my buddy, you know, he's like, yeah, we can do that. We'll take some photos of the bike. We'll take some photos of you. We'll mix and match it. And um, that one probably did the best. But when we took it to Trek, they're like, dude, we can't really post this because it's a cease and desist from whatever warner brothers um so i just had to post it on my own social media but dude it went it went off it was insane um so yeah that's probably when i do the best um on instagram or whatever is a a bike photo of like some new paint job that i have that's really what catches people's eye
0: yeah and when you're coming up with the ideas for just the broad concept for what you want to do with one of these is there kind of a general starting point that you tend to gravitate toward or you just kind of whatever idea pops into your head is something that would be recognizable and interesting and kind of run from there
1: yeah i mean stuff that i'm stoked on at the time you know like surfing or a car or airplanes or like you said a hockey team um stuff from my past. Um, old trek bikes that I think that they had a sweet paint job at the time and kind of bring those back. Um I did a UPS bike. Everyone loves the UPS band because always delivering boxes, you know. Um, I did an evil Knievel bike. Uh man, it's uh Bob Hanna. That was a sick one, like the old Yamaha. And then Bell did a helmet for me that matched the bike with the lightning bolts on it. Um, yeah, it's just whatever I'm stoked on at the time. Like like this year I did, um, I should post that photo soon actually, but uh, this legendary surfer had a specific surfboard design that I was really intrigued by and he was very progressive in the surf world. Kind of made surfing what it is today. And so I paid my respects and did a a bike like his surfboard, which I'm stoked to release soon here. Um, Yeah, I did a California license plate this year. Pretty psyched on that one as my slope bike, like an old license plate. Um, And then I did a Vans downhill bike, like a Vans shoe. Had the stripe down the down tube. Yeah, just whatever I'm psyched on in the moment. That's kind of just what we run with.
0: Have there been any ideas that you really wanted to make happen but couldn't due to intellectual property issues or stuff like that?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, uh, This is probably like three years ago. I wanted to do an in and out Burger bike. And it kind of looked like the cup, you know, like all the waves and the palm trees. And I got the mock-up back, I'm like, Oh, this is gonna be insane! I had the receipt on the top tube, um, like my name and in the In and Out logo, and the the head paint guy wanted to send it in out first just in case. And we send um, and they're like, "We love this. This is so cool!" But legally, we just can't allow it. And we're like, "Okay, yeah, totally understandable. No worries." And they sent us $200 gift cards asking and like, and going about it the right way, you
0: know? So
1: I I thought that was pretty cool.
0: That's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly you've had quite a good sequence of stuff, even if that one didn't pan out and excited to see that new one. You just teased a minute Um, ago there. So, uh, that's a, uh, I got
1: a few bikes I need to post actually, but, um, yeah, there's one day they'll all be on my wall or in my garage or something. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but um, they all tell a story. It's like a tattoo to me, you know?
0: Um, so yeah, they're yeah. going to stick. You need to start a museum at some point. Just have the whole whole rundown of them. We always talked about um, with Sterling Lawrence, uh,
1: a photographer, is to do like a coffee table book with all the C3 athletes and all of our custom painted bikes um because you know cam and brandon and casey like we all have so many bikes um even just the state that they're in you know like some bikes don't have a rear shock or um i know it's something i need to keep pushing on track because that'd be a pretty sick book to have on my coffee table
0: that would be really cool i'm all for that one yeah uh Make it happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm Give just it away with the
1: next movie or something we do, you know.
0: There you go. Yeah. Well, I guess on the subject of movies, just put out roadkills and uh described it, I think, on Instagram as quote, the best trip of your life. So tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So that kinda has been a long time coming, that one. We've had the idea for a bit. Um I mean we have you know Nick Genovese, he's kind of like the brains behind the whole rider die thing. Um, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't. We'd still be stuck on stickers, you know. Um, and he is like the filmer right now in the industry. He's you know he's Mindspark, and him and Aaron the Rock. So they're they're part of the company, and then we have myself, Paul Genovese, and Logan Pete, and we're the writers of the company. So it's like. Okay, we want to promote our own brand. We have everyone we need to do it right here. We know how to release a movie or a video. Um, we just need to do it, you know? So we bought an old shitty truck for 2800 bucks, and it had no roof on it. And yeah, we just hit up all our friends and told them we were coming And we drove 2,000 miles around BC and we just filmed the whole thing. And uh, yeah, we brought Wally, Isaac Wallen along and he's a filmer and a writer. So, you know, he doubled up, which helped us a lot with getting more footage. And we had a couple dad cams and we had a photographer and it was just an all-time crew, something that we've all... You know dreamt of for the past however long router I has been a part of it or been a thing um so yeah, we just started on the Sunshine Coast and kind of worked our way into the interior a bit and just hit all our all our favorite spots with our friends and just filmed along the way. It was a pretty simple recipe, honestly, but um yeah, it was twelve we did we did the whole thing in twelve days. Um, our car didn't break down once, which was unbelievable. We didn't get pulled over once, which is wild. Um, but, yeah, it was sick. Like Revelstoke Mountain. They gave us all seasons passes and like three hotel rooms. Um, Sun Peaks gave us passes and a house to stay in. Like, people hooked us up, you know, we just had to, like, reach out tell them what we're doing and they supported it which was sick um and we just the rest you know all the gas money and all the other places we had to stay we just used the ride or die money you know that's that's what it's for it's our outlet for like a social outlet or a media outlet is like we sell t-shirts and stickers so we can go out and film a movie or film videos and um, just kind of give back to the people that support us. You know, we're not looking to make money off of it, but we just don't want to answer to people, you know? It's like, hey, we think this is funny. This is a sick location. Like, let's do it, you know? Um, So yeah, 12 days in that shitty rig and a lot of bike parks and a lot of friends. And yeah, and then I broke my leg on the last day. So we got a movie out of it. It was worth it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess... Best trip of your life, even with a broken leg at the end, is uh, pretty solid. Oh yeah, and
1: did the the amount of laughs and just funny shit that happened along the way, and we got to record it all. It's like, dude, it's it was so so fun. Like the whole trip, we're like best trip of our lives, best trip of our lives. You know, um, and yeah, uh, even. I broke my leg and I was still the best damn trip of my life. So, yeah. Yeah. And
0: I I did want to ask about that truck because, so you're saying you bought it basically as it was in the video. The uh, hack and the roof off wasn't your doing? Nope. Dude, we, we bought it like that. And for 2800 <laughs> bucks, and it was mint. And yeah, for people who haven't seen this yet, you should just go watch the whole thing. But it's what, uh crew cab, long bed, Chevy, just with the roof sawzalled off and then a little bit of a roll cage slapped in there
1: and the roll cage was so short your head would stick out on top of it like it didn't it wouldn't even work if we did flip what was the history of that thing and who did you buy it from okay so we were in limbo about even buying a truck and i was like man it's pretty lame to be on a road trip in like a toyota tacoma like let's let's have like a centerpiece, you know, let's have a mascot to this. And Toby Cali, the photographer, um, just moved to Golden. And he was on Craigslist and it came up. He's like, dude, we need this. And it didn't take much convincing of the rest of the crew to do it. And so we sent Toby 2,800 bucks. Next day, he went and bought it. And then he drove it from Golden eight hours to the Sunshine Coast. So that was... We didn't even count that leg of the trip. He drove it out there and then we pretty much got in it and drove it right back. And so, dude, the the thing is a trooper. Um, And that's just... We we call it the company vehicle now because that's all we could afford. And everyone... All these other companies, you know, they got Sprinter vans and buses and all that shit. But we have some old 1988 Chevy 2500 with no roof. (laughs) Real mountain biking.
0: <laughs> Do you know anything about how it came to be roofless and what that whole deal was? Not not one bit. I, You know what?
1: Actually, I think we got the story. It was like a project with the dude's kids, and he had Harleys. And so they'd put Harleys in the back, and
0: yeah, I don't, I don't know. But it was perfect. For- exactly like you said, just having something much sillier and with much more character to it made the whole thing a lot cooler. And, uh, I had really assumed that you guys had had to do a little bit of the fab work on that thing to make it what it was, but I obviously stand corrected on that one.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we had all sorts of weather on that trip, you know, like the first day of driving, it was a, supposed to be a seven hour drive. It took us 13 hours. And it was like a hundred degrees. There's no roof. There's no stereo. There's nothing in it. You know? And we're just like scorching, you know, no water. Like we had sparkling water. We were pouring it on our heads because it was so hot. Um, so that was day one. And then on the way back from Revelstoke, it was raining. So we had a, we got a tarp and we just like, put a piece of wood in it and try to make it as tight as possible. But then we're driving for, you know, 10 hours and it's so loud. You can't even talk to anyone because the tarp is just flapping in the wind. Um, It was like, it's funny now, but in the time it was a little bit miserable. Um, But yeah, it it is all worth
0: it. Obviously. Good story. (laughs) Well, so any future plans for the company vehicle then? It sounds like you're keeping it around.
1: I mean, I broke my leg and then it was my right leg, so I can't drive. So I kind of left it in Brandon's driveway and I, I had to go home to deal with my my stuff. So yeah, sorry, dude. It's Hopefully it's still there next year. <laughs> um, it should be fine. I don't think he's too stressed on it. Um. But yeah, I mean, we would like to keep doing these videos. You know, if if people still buy our T-shirts, um, you know, we we have plans to do some. And you know, it'd be sick to do one in Europe or you know, New Zealand or the states. Yeah, we 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 have no plans at the moment, but um, you know, this this winter we'd like to do another one. And you know, maybe we'd put this one out um, for people to buy or something if it's you know super high grade, but. All the videos that we've done, they've been free um, just on, you know, trying to say thank you to people supporting the the brand. And it's not a brand, you know, we don't even really think of Ride or Die as a clothing company or as an apparel company, right? It's, it's our crew, you know, it's just our tight little crew and yeah, we just want to do cool stuff in the mountain bike world. And that that's our way of funding it really.
0: <laughs> yeah. And obviously, I am sure at this point, having been laid up for a while, you're just itching to get back to it. But sort of more broadly or generally speaking, what kind of has you most fired up on a bike these days? Like just what makes for the ideal day out for you and what are you most rotten at? Yeah, I, I'm at a really
1: uh, cool part of my career. Um, yeah, something I'm really, you know, I, I don't have to go out and risk my life every time I go ride, you know, it's, and, you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, just going trail riding with my friends or, you know, my, my fiance, it's um, or taking the dog out for a ride. You know, it's just, I, I don't, think of riding as like training you know whatever is fun that's that's what i'm going to do that day whether it's going e-biking with the crew or you know going to build a new trail or maintain a trail or we're going to go dirt jump in or, or ride slope style it's it, like i i kind of said earlier it's just like being a well-rounded rider is um something that i'm you know I'm stoked on. I I want to be able to ride my downhill bike, and I want to be able to ride my hardtail. And it's just that that's so sick about what's so sick about mountain biking is that we have all these options of different styles of riding. Um, yeah, just you know, going out for a cruisy trail lap is. I, I'm so content at the end of the day, you know, um, and yeah, uh, e-, e biking's been dope too. You know, it's kind of taken over my passion for dirt biking a little bit. So I I don't have to load the moto up and pay an entry fee and buy gas and, you know, make it an all day thing. It's like, I just go pump out a couple laps on the e-bike and kind of get my moto fix there in a way. Um, I mean, I still like dirt biking, but I just don't do it as much anymore. Um, but yeah, just, you know, cruisy trail rides, pretty fun. (laughs)
0: Right on. Yeah. Bikes are fun. Doesn't have to be the wildest thing in the world. It's just being outside and having a good time is pretty great. And Yeah, and just trying to make it look good, you know? <laughs> well, Ryan, I think that's a pretty good note to wrap up on here. At, uh this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on and wishing you all the best with the rest of the recovery and hope to see you back on a bike real soon here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm gonna I'll be a road bike guy for A little bit, Trek Trek just sent me a road bike and uh, and we'll be trail riding before you know it. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Glad to hear it. Well, thanks
1: again and it's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I'd also like to say thanks to Ryan for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.